Okay. You can be opening up your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 5. We'll be continuing in, in that passage, in a, in a passage there today. In fact, I'm just going to read it again. It's Galatians 5, verse uh, 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right. We've had a good long study in the, in the letter to the churches in Galatia, the churches that Paul helped to establish on his first missionary journey. And of course, as we've said many times, uh, he had to deal with some stuff that happened after he left. You have some folks coming in there and saying, hey, you got to be circumcised still. Even though you're a Christian now, you still got to be circumcised. You still got to keep the law. You're still under the law. And Paul has to deal with that. He has to tell them, no, we now have that liberty in Christ Jesus. We are free. We are free in Christ Jesus. And we've talked a lot about what that meant, right? The fact that, no, the Old Testament was uh, nailed to the cross. It's no longer in part. Even though we needed the law, we needed to have the Mosaic law to understand God, to understand his character, to understand the law, so that we might know a difference between right and wrong, right? We know that there are absolutes, even though the world would want you to see it that way, right? We know that there is right and wrong. There is truth. And we get that from revelation from our Lord. So this is something that Paul has to deal with. He says, you now have freedom in Christ. You have the freedom that God intended from the beginning to live according to him, live in his light, live in his likeness as he made us, right? He created you in the likeness, in his likeness. He created man in his likeness. So that's what he's trying to deal with. He's having to deal with this and to show them that they have now become children of God. They are now walking in the spirit, not in the flesh, right? And we talked about a few weeks ago, those works of the flesh that he says, be careful though, right? Even though you have this freedom, even though you have this liberty, don't go back to the works of the flesh. Don't walk in the lust of the flesh, in the things that you were doing before, in the things that you were converted from, that you repented of, right? Because then he says, if you do that, you're in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God. In other words, you might not be saved. You might not have that eternal life that God promises those who are faithful and walk in the Spirit. And then over the last two or three weeks, we've been talking about what he describes as the fruit of the Spirit. And we're contrasting that, right? We're showing how different that is from the works of the flesh and how you are to walk in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, you will have these fruits, these things that he talks about. Uh, we kind of divided this up in, into three triads, right? The first uh, this, this is our last, our final study of the fruits of the Spirit, the third triad, you might say. The first one we talked about for those who walk in the Spirit, who are led in the Spirit, uh, uh, were those who would um, have love, right? He said that's a fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about how he's, that's the love toward God, an active love, an, an active goodwill toward God, and because of that, an active goodwill toward others, right? What's the first commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is the same as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's what he's talking about. That love comes 
by walking in the Spirit. Because of that walking in the Spirit, we're going to have joy. We're going to have a tremendous joy, a gladness, a delight that's indescribable. You know, we can't express our joy to others, especially those in the world who, who don't understand it, who think it's silly, think it's stupid, but we know it's there. We have this peace too, right? We have this peace because we are children of God. We are heirs to the promises. We understand where we're going. We know that this life is just temporary. We're just here for a little while and then we pass away and then we go on to that eternal life. That peace, that, that peace that surpasses understanding. The world doesn't understand that. The world looks at us and says, you're, you're silly. Man, you're only here for a little while. You might as well have some fun. You might as well get all gusto you can, right? I mean, nobody could, should tell you what's right or wrong. You don't need to live. You live your life the way you want to. It don't matter. Interesting the concept, right? Interesting the different views in the world. Second last week, or last week we studied about the second triad, which has to do with more about how we deal with others, right? Long-suffering is the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering meaning patience, restraint, right? Being patient with others. If you ever teach one about the gospel, do you ever spread the word? You got to do it with long-suffering, right? Not lording it over them, but being patient. They have to make the decision. God gives others the freedom to choose just like you have. You have to be patient with it. We, we deal with that every day, right, in our families, especially if you have young children, right? You got to be patient with your children. They'll drive you crazy if you don't, right? God, we read about in Scripture, how he was long-suffering. That's a characteristic of God. He's patient. We read that his long-suffering is our salvation, right? He is waiting on us to repent. I mean, he could just, when we sin, it's like, that's it, you're done. See ya. But no, he is patient, wanting us to come to repentance, wanting to save us. Therefore, he is long-suffering. And that should be something that we have as well, and it is a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, uh, um, a certain sweetness of temper, a certain characteristic that you're not lording things on, over others, that people can come to you and feel comfortable, right? A kindness that you show them, a kindness you show others, when maybe you're talking about your faith, or when maybe you're just dealing with other issues, that they can come to you and they can, and they can confide in you. They can talk about things in their lives and know that that's going to be something that you're not going to blab out to the world, right? Or know that that's something that you're going to be patient with them about, you're going to be kind to them about it, and you're going to help them. You're going to want to help them. That's a kindness that we're talking about that comes from a fruit of the Spirit. And, of course, goodness. We talked about that last week. That benevolence, that kindness in nature that causes us to do good things, causes us to do good works. You were created for good works. That's, that's what, you might say, that's the, the only reason we're here, is to do good works. And when we do those good works, through the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, God is glorified because of that. Yeah, man. And, and you can see that, right? The, the world says, oh, that's silly. Why do you, you know, let's go out and have some fun. Let's, get, let's party, man. Let's, let's, let's go, have, you know, enjoy your life. Get drunk. Let's, let's, uh, let's just do whatever we want. Pleasure, man. No. When you're following the Word of God, that's where we get the purest of joy because we know where we're going. 
We're doing those good works. We're helping people. We're sacrificing to help others. We're sharing our faith because we know others need to know about it so they can have that hope and that joy and that peace, right? So that's another fruit of the Spirit, that goodness, the works that you do, and that's by God's design. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about that third triad, you might say, of graces. And we just read those, and it deals more with ourselves, right? How the things that we in our lives should be doing or, or, or acting or living, uh, and these are fruits of the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit, these things should be occurring in our lives. First of all, he says faithfulness. A faithfulness, and, and the Greek word is, is pistis or P-I-S-T-I-S, and it's, it's often used in the New Testament as a, a respect for God or a conviction toward God, right? We use faithfulness all the time. You've got to have faith to come to God. <clears throat> because of your faith, you're considered righteous, right? Abraham, we know about that. It's also to use to describe a quality of being uh, faithful or uh, the word fidelity, right? You know, you Marines out there, semper fidelis, right? Always faithful. Quality saying, you can rely on me. If you need something from me, I'm going to be there for it. It's a character of one who is a reliable person, someone who can be relied on, someone who can be trusted, faithful, trusted. It's a virtue of reliability, right? It's not common, though, is it? Is, is everybody you know perfectly faithful? Can you rely on every person you know? I know a lot of you have grown kids, but when your kids are little, how many times do you have to tell them to take the garbage out? How many times do you have to tell them to make up their bed? Did they do it the first time you told them usually? Hmm. Probably not. Did they clean their table off when you told them after dinner? Clean the table. I'm watching TV! Yeah. They weren't probably that reliable, right? That's something they had to learn. Innately, we're not something that, we're not reliable, right? We're about ourselves, right? Innately, we're born selfish. We tend to do what we think is good for us. And so that's something that has to be learned. Faithfulness, reliability, something that's not found. Turn over to the Old Testament. I want to read a few passages. Go to Proverbs. And let's see what the wise man said about fidelity. Proverbs chapter uh, 20. I always get it mixed up. I can't remember if Proverbs was after Psalms or Psalms was after Proverbs. We'll get there. Psalm, uh, Proverbs chapter 20. And let's just begin with the first one because we've read this chat. We actually, we've read this recently when we're talking about uh, strong drink and stuff. So I'm going to read through. There's several, in these first six verses, there's some great stuff. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. In other words, you're stupid if you're a drunkard. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Sounds like some folks we have today, doesn't it? Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. In other words, 
He's going to dig. He's going to search. He's going to ask. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? It's not easy. Turn over to uh, Psalm chapter 12. Let's see what the psalmist says about that. Psalm chapter 12 and uh, begin in verse 1. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart. They speak. I don't know if anybody ever here has actually seen uh, combat. I know Brother Bob has. I'm not sure about anybody else. But when you're in the battle, on the field of battle, and you need somebody to help you because you're in a bad situation, you got to have faith that your buddy's going to help you out, right? you got to rely on somebody sometimes. Think of sports, team sports. Football, guys covering a receiver downfield. Oh, but here comes another guy behind him. I, which one do I get? Well, i got to come up and get this guy because I know my safety back here is going to cover this guy. If he doesn't do it, guess what happens? Touchdown. We have to rely on each other for stuff, right? That's part of being faithful. Being faithful toward God. God needs to be able to rely on us, right? How is that manifested in our lives, right? Well, Revelation 2.10 says, those who remain faithful till the end will receive the crown of life. God expects us to remain faithful, to be relied on, to do his will, to walk in the spirit until we pass away. Turn over to Matthew 25. Let's read a passage there about faithfulness. Matthew 25. Beginning in verse 21. Or I should say verse 20. So he who had... Actually, I'm sorry. Let's go back to... Uh, let's go back to verse 14. Just begin at the beginning of the parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his, God, his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents to another two and another one. Teach according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with him and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, well, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. The Lord said and answered, said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. 
So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the point here? You have certain talents, gifts from God. You do. That is scriptural. You may not think you do. You may not want to think you do, but you do. And you are to take those talents and put them in service to God. You know that good works thing? That's what you got them for. And if you're not faithful to do that, the parable kind of plays it out for you there, right? We are to be faithful to God in everything that we do while walking in the Spirit. We need to be able to be relied on. The servants were being entrusted to the money of the master. He expected them to make some money for him. The one talent guy didn't. Therefore, he suffered the consequence. We are to put in practice what we say. Hebrews 10, we talk about our duties to the church. Do not forsake the assemblies as is the practice of some. I mean, what would it be like this morning if Kyle didn't show up? And he didn't get anybody to replace him. What would happen? You ever thought about that? That's my, I have nightmares about that. What if I got called in the middle of the night last night and had to work? And I wasn't thinking about 6 a.m. I got to get somebody to teach my class. I know Jim Freeman would have been here to do it, but, but we wouldn't have wanted that for sure. <laughs> Jim knows I'm good. Jim would have been great. But that could happen, right? We have to be faithful. You have to be able to rely on teachers to be here when they say they're going to. That's part of it. That's part of that faithfulness, right? We have responsibilities as parents. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. I told Jim I was going to use him. He said it was fine. So. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now turn over to Titus chapter 2. A few letters over. Beginning in verse 3. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Here we have some instructions on how to be faithful in our families, how to be faithful with our brethren, with our sisters, with our brothers. That's all part of that, walking in the Spirit. Those who are faithful will be blessed by the Lord. That's what Psalm 31, 23 says. Simple as that. God expects you to be faithful, expects you to be in service, and he's glorified because of that. Do we do that? Do we show our faithfulness? Is that a fruit of our walking in the Spirit? What's another one? 
Gentleness. Mentions gentleness there that the Spirit produces. The Greek word is priotis. I believe that's how you pronounce that. Simply means humility, meekness. You might have heard, if you got the King James, it probably says meekness, right? It's the word. The ability to bear reproach and slights with moderation. Not, not, not ready to avenge a wrong. Not ready to jump on somebody's head because they called you a name, right? Having tranquility, stability in spirit. It's that virtuous quality by which we treat all men with courtesy. We treat others with respect, even when they don't treat you that way. We're not, we're not intolerant of them. We, we may need to tell them some things because we know it's true, but we do that with humility, with meekness, with gentleness. This is the virtue, by the way, that we know was displayed by Jesus. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. And let's see what Matthew said about that. <clears throat> Chapter 11 and verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was humble. He was meek. He's saying, come on, give it to me, I'll take it. I can handle it. Turn over to uh, Numbers. Moses is described similarly. Numbers chapter 12. I'm going to read an interesting story here. And I want you to pay, pay close attention to it because this story has several things we can grasp from it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Hmm. Notice verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble more than all men who were on the face of the earth. That's in the scripture. It says Moses was more humble than anybody on the earth. There were a lot of people on the earth at that time. Interesting. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses, though. He is faithful in all my house. So I speak with him face to face. It's different. Even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? What are you guys doing? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this on us. 
lay the sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses, wait, who? Moses. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Man. Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. All right, this passage is a great passage to study. All right? I'm going to get to why we're studying it here in a second, but I want to read through, well, not read, but talk about some of the other things that we can glean from this, right? First of all, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Why? Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he married. Was Miriam a racist? Hmm. Interesting point. Something to ponder, right? We're not told that directly, but apparently she didn't like that marriage. Obviously, an Ethiopian woman would have been a dark-skinned woman, right? We don't know for sure, but most likely that's the case. In fact, it's also described as a Cushite. The Cush people lived below Egypt in that region, what we might call today the uh, Sudan or ancient Sudan, and they were usually slaves. You had a lot of Cushite slaves. So even that, she could have been a slave woman. So some might even say, well, the reason Miriam had a problem was because she's not an Israelite or she was a slave. Well, possibly. But more likely, it's because of the fact that she's a different skin color. She's a different race. There's an issue there. It says Miriam and Aaron. <coughs> Does that mean that was the problem here? Well, it's part of the problem. But it's not all the problem here. You might say, well, she, she had to be a racist, right? Because, you know, God didn't say anything about that marriage. And he didn't. He doesn't say yay or nay. Apparently, it's okay with him, right? Why would Miriam have a problem with it? Don't know. Some that, don't, that would say that she was not a racist, I, I tend to disagree. I think she had a problem with it, and the reason I do is because you can see how God dealt with it. Look at verse 9 again, or verse 10. He says, suddenly, Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Did you notice that? Why, why is that described that way? Maybe it's God saying, you like your whiteness? I'm going to make you very white. I don't know. But that seems to play that up a little bit there, right? Yeah. I love the way God does them. You know, he says, hey, you three, let's go out here by the tabernacle meeting. And like your dad said, hey, boys, girls, let's head out here behind the shed. I get that feeling when he's doing that. I think he's a little irritated, right? I think he's a little upset because his kids can't be relied on not being humble right the question might come up you know well you know there's all kinds of reasons that could be the case but it's kind of like you know when when folks and maybe you've done this maybe you haven't have a discussion about the civil war all right and i have I've, i love history i love studying american history you know why did the civil war come about well obviously it was slavery right well, wait somebody might say no 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 it was states rights the south wanted to they didn't want that federal government. They wanted to have states' rights. They wanted the states to have sovereignty. And there was some of that going on. Did you know 
hopefully you do know this from your history class in high school, that up until about 1913, that all senators were appointed by state legislatures. They were not elected. Did you know that? Some of you may not know that. 17th Amendment, about 1913, changed that. We started electing senators after that. That was done by the framers, so the states had their say. You had the House of Representatives, that was the people's house. The Senate was for the states. That changed. Well, several reasons for that. One of them was because a lot of times state legislatures couldn't agree on who was going to represent them. And so they'd have an empty seat in the Senate for that period of Congress. So that was one of the reasons that happened. <clears throat> so there was some of that going on, particularly in that time, that we don't need no federal government. We have a state. And it's hard for us to understand that because, you know, our federal government is so pervasive now. And we live in different states all the time, right? We don't necessarily think of our state as being the end all, right? We're Americans. We go across the sea. We're Americans. Yeah, I'm a Georgia boy, but I'm really American. We don't think of it so much like that, right? Point being, Miriam had some issues. But all that being said, I want you to see why we're reading this. Miriam. And, and, and there's another question you might say, why wasn't Aaron changed? Well, Aaron, I'm not sure that Aaron was as adamant about it as Miriam was. I think Aaron was kind of one of those guys that follow, you know. Yeah, okay, I don't know. I, I can see Miriam coming in, we need to go talk to Moses. And Aaron would say, yeah, okay, okay, I'll go with you. You remember when Moses came off the mountain and what did it say? Well, Aaron had been persuaded to create a golden calf. This is the guy that talked to Pharaoh. Why is he doing that? I've often thought that. Why in the world was Aaron getting a golden calf when he knows better? Aaron was easily persuaded. Perhaps he wasn't as strong in his foundation. And so maybe that may be why Miriam was mentioned here first even. Maybe Miriam persuaded him to go talk to Moses because she didn't want to do it by herself. Interesting, right? And what's the ultimate point that they're getting at here? Yeah, she didn't like the marriage. She didn't like the fact that he's married to an Ethiopian woman. But then she says in verse 2, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Who are you, Moses, to get to speak to the Israelites? I mean, we're part of this thing too. She's complaining. Because he's getting all the glory. What's God say about it? You three get out here. I got to deal with this. I can't believe i got to deal with this again. And he says, I speak to Moses face to face. Yeah, I talk to other prophets in visions and dreams, but he is faithful in all my house. Therefore, I speak to him directly. And it don't matter what you guys say about it. It don't matter what kind of problem you have. That's how I'm going to deal with it. And then he turns Miriam into a leper. And Aaron sees it. She might not even realize it yet. Aaron looks at her and says, Oh, take this away. And what does Moses do? <laughs> you got what's coming, girl. How dare you come at me because God chose me. Nah. He prays to God. He says, Please, God, take this away from her. Forgive her. Because he was the most meek person on the face of the earth. And I went through this other stuff, and that's interesting stuff to talk about. 
But the ultimate point of this story is Moses was God's man. Moses was humble. He was meek. And therefore, he was walking in the Spirit. He may not have necessarily known about the Spirit like we do, but he was faithful. And because of that, he was a very meek and humble man. Interesting point. I know I just bored you to death with all that, but I love to study that passage because there's so much in there. So how are we to manifest this in our lives, right? Well, we must receive the word. James 1 says we have to receive the word with meekness, with great humility, right? We have to read the word and try to understand what God's saying to us instead of putting our opinion into it. Instead of saying, no, 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 I don't think that's right. I want to understand it by what he's saying. Put everything out of my mind. And when I study, what are you telling me? Be in prayer about it. In fact, that's scriptural. 1 Peter 3.15. I mean, first, uh, let's, let's actually turn over to 1 Peter. Read that right quick. We're running out of time here, but I want to read a couple passages there. <coughs> 1 Peter 3.15, it says... but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You're to make a defense for yourself, but you better do it in humility, not puffed up, because you might get struck with leprosy <laughs> like Miriam. No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding about that, but that's a good point, right? How about 1 Peter... Uh, Let's see, was it six? Yeah, I let him miss that. Anyways, we are to have meekness in the way we receive the word. Meekness when we deal with others. <sighs> meekness is necessary for Christian women who would be precious in the sight of God. That's 1 Peter 6, I think. No, it's 1 Peter 3. It is 3. I'm sorry. Yeah, beginning of verse 1, it says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your husbands, that even in some do not obey the Lord. They, without a word, may be one by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid, with any terror. So we are to be humble when dealing with each other. We are to be humble when we preach or teach to others. We are to be humble when we approach brethren in error and do things in a spirit of gentleness. Doesn't say not to approach, but do it with humility. And we're running out of time, but I've got to talk about the last one, that's self-control. Spirit produces self-control. The Greek word is egrateia, kratos meaning street. It also means holding oneself in, okay? That's something we can get from the Spirit. When the virtue, this, when this uh, subsists, temptation can have little influence. Are you tempted by some kind of sin? Perhaps that has to do with your self-control. Perhaps you're not able to control yourself. Perhaps that's something that you need to work on. It's necessary to become overcoming those works of the flesh. Romans 8, don't have time to read it. We've read Romans 8 many times, verses 11 through 14. The indwelling spirit is given to the Christian to aid in this regard. And through prayer, we can get help. 
Yeah, you're going to be tempted. You're going to struggle with things. But you have the Spirit to help you. You can pray to God and say, take this away from me. Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right there it is. Remember that. We must be willing to stand strong in the power of God's might. That's Ephesians 6 and 12. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. If that's something you struggle with, perhaps you need to be in more prayer. Perhaps you need to be asking a brother for help. Someone who is kind and gentle and you can put your trust in. These last few weeks we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We've contrasted that to the works of the flesh. We looked at results, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things that produces fruit, that the Spirit produces fruit in our lives, helps us to get away from. Those who walk by the Spirit and love, joy, and peace are in contrast to those who indulge the flesh and have hatred, outbursts of wrath, contentions. Those who have long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, we contrast that with the lust of the flesh to say they have envy and selfish ambition. Those with the spirit of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control contrast that with jealousies, contentions, and immorality. Which do you want to have? I mean, seriously. I know I've said that before, but wouldn't you rather have the fruit of the Spirit than the works of the flesh? I mean, the works of the flesh, out. Yeah, some of that sounds fun, but then what usually happens afterward? It might be pleasurable for a moment, and then you got jealousies, contention, envy, outbursts of wrath. Is that fun necessarily? And that's one of the things Paul's talking about here. You have that freedom in Christ, that liberty, walking in the Spirit as a child of God. Don't turn back to the works of the flesh because that's just going to lead to a mess. Walk in the Spirit and you will be completely blessed and have abundant life here on earth and in the life after passing. Gives us a choice. What you gonna do? Walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh? I'm gonna choose the spirit. Time is up. Thanks for being here.